For those of you that are weak in the knees tonight and you can't stand really godly, righteous preaching, you're, you can go ahead and leave. If you are strong and you want to make it to heaven, then you better stay. All right, Proverbs 10, verse 1. Proverbs 10, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon. Now, <clears throat> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll go over this twice so you'll be sure and get it. In reality, the first nine chapters of Proverbs have been talking of the difference between Lady Wisdom and the Woman of Folly, or in other words, intelligence and non-intelligence, okay? foolishness and wisdom. That's what the first nine chapters have been doing. In chapter 10 and verse 1, we start real Proverbs. These are true Proverbs. And so we're, what we'll do from here on will be covered what we, uh, we will call, and I'll define it to you in just a moment, what a really a proverb is. So that's the reason he starts this verse with the Proverbs of Solomon. And then he goes on. It's just an announcement. A wise son. This is a brief sentence. It's to the point. It is a, uh, it's kind of a... Uh, Oh, I pointed, if you would, it's, it's got a, just a little bit of a, a punch to it. And I think that's the, the way you would want to say what a real proverb is. A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. Turn around and say, I want to make my father proud and take the load off my mama. And you may be seated. That's the reason I wanted all the young people in here. Because if you've got a problem with heaviness in your mother, you can lighten it. Okay? It's always good to remember who wrote the jewels of Proverbs. And that's when it says the Proverbs of Solomon. Just, it's nice to remember that because this is a man that God had ordained, who had given wisdom, and who in reality, according to the Scripture in Kings, he wrote over 3,000 Proverbs, but these were chosen by God to be penned in the Holy Book the ones that we're reading. So he wrote many more than this, but these, the, you, know, you, you have, a, you have a, a, a chance here to get nuggets of wisdom that no one else could from the, the, from the wisest man on the face of the earth. Now, he speaks here, and he wrote primarily to his son, and he also wrote to, to young men. Each son, each son should consider his relationship to his parents. When I say the word son, I, I just for the sake, because a lot of times it's spoken in a male gender here, I'm speaking as, as women, ladies as well, girls, boys, it didn't make any difference. Uh, young people, they should consider their relationship to their parents. And not until he is a parent will a child ever understand what their parents went to and what joy or grief that they brought to their parents as they were being raised. You will never understand that till you become a child. Ashton and Chris will finally figure out the joy or the sorrow they brought to their parents because it always comes back. I promise you it will. If you're an egghead growing up, you will have an egghead for a child for a little while. How many can say amen to that? All right, all right. 
Boy, it's too bad. If we could learn that, if you could learn that now before you get married, you will have a lot better life, I promise you. So, so everyone needs to consider it. Let every young man, woman, consider his mother, his father, and his heavenly father. Mother, father, and heavenly father. Let's consider all three. Solomon wrote the Proverbs in the Bible, including this one. And, and you're, again, blessed to, to have this wise uh, personal tutor to be able to tell you how that you need to live. And, and God inspired the selection of these few from the 3,000. He wrote, according to 1 Kings 4.32, And the righteous can rejoice for having secret wisdom from heaven concisely defined, and that's what a proverb is, in a pithy statement, a, a, a pointed, if you would, statement. There's something to it. There's something in this. When you hear these proverbs, they, they strike a chord in your spirit, in your mind, in your, in your heart. They strike something in you because they're saying something in a short sentence. Now, the world can make fun of the Bible, and the world will. Uh, but, you know, you, you look at the world, and I've brought this out before. You, you let them Look to monkeys as their ancestors. That's fine. Debt as their economic panacea. Unruly children as their future. Lazy employees as their workforce. Corrupt officials as their government. Liberated professional women as their wives and mothers. And financial scams as their road success. That's what the world looks to. The handwriting of disaster for the world is already on the wall. But one thing you never must forget, and that is, at the end of all of this, the saints are going to rule. Now, that's just the way the Bible says it. So whether they want to believe this book or not, let them do what they want to do. For me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to be obedient to the Word of God. And we're not going to let the world dictate to us how to live. Praise God! First nine chapters, again, are introductory with long and continuing instruction, contrasting wisdom and folly. So we've covered that. Uh, but now, you know, the, while the whole book is Proverbs, there are individual jewels that are deserving of our attention. Again, all of them are Proverbs, but that first nine was making that comparison between wisdom and foolishness. And I hope that we somehow communicated that in that first nine chapters because there is a right way to live. There's a successful way to live. You don't have to live with a state of unforgiveness. You don't have to live in a state of folly and foolishness, doing stupid things the rest of your life if you let the Word of God be your guiding force. That's just that simple. So the first one we have in our text points to the value of godly training for the joy and the deliverance of parents. If those proverbs are taught and required of children, such parents will realize the full blessing of a godly seed for their great pleasure and God's glory. If these proverbs are neglected, the future is bleak at best. If you listen to the right way of raising a child, you'll be successful. If you don't, you're going to have a lot of trouble. You look at me... Judge me, throw stones at me, throw rotten eggs at me, whatever you want to do. I still believe that you can raise the child the right way and they don't have to go out in the world and be scarred. That's just a few of you. The rest of you don't think that's the truth. That is the truth. Because if I don't believe that, then I don't believe anything else in here. 
Now, that's just the way it is. If we make mistakes, the best thing you can do is, is, to, is to just simply confess that mistake and try again. Don't make excuses. There's nothing worse than making a mistake, making an excuse, and then letting your child go to hell. All right. I know I've got some, I got some really good barbs on that one. I had one with an arrowhead about that long. Got me right here. Good thing about it, I got the blessed plate, blessed plate, blessed breast, 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 breast. I've got, uh, I got tongue tied there. Breastplate of righteousness. <laughs> well, you know, it's a blessed breastplate. Hey, boy, that's you can say that one real fast. Say that one real fast. <laughs> All right, let's, 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 let's just go a little further with it. For all of you children out there, is anybody in here not a child? Are you not a child of somebody? So that means all of us, correct? So a few of you might have been found on a stump. But I guarantee that somewhere along the line, <laughs> under a rock, it could be that too. All of us are to some degree a child today of somebody. Uh, you know, consider, or have you thought, let's just put it this way, for, for those of you, for, for the children, child, all of us, have you considered your parents? Have you really thought about them? They each lived your life before you were born, especially the script in the middle. Do you know that your parents lived your life before you were born? They did. Now, that's just a fact. So way back then... They together were twice as wise as you are now. Because two of them, they were twice as wise. Since your birth, they've accumulated more wisdom and experience while you took years learning not to mess yourself up, get food in your mouth instead of your ear. So look at the wisdom they've got. Now, I know some of you had parents that were dope heads. Okay? Some of you still have parents that are dope heads. Some of them are alcoholics. You know, there's all kinds. But still, in the midst of all that fog, there is some wisdom there. First off, if they have any wisdom at all, they look at you and say, don't be what I am. Right? That's one of the first things they would want to do. So, so sometimes, even in the worst of parents, you can look at that and you can find some wisdom there. If that's the way my parents are, I don't want to be that way. So you have gleaned something good from them. So always, there's always something there that you can look at. And let's, just, let's take it a little bit further. Your mama, your dear, sweet mother, was nauseated, hot, heavy as she carried you, but she already loved you and had wonderful thoughts for your life. She even decorated your nursery. Now, that's how much she loved you. Think about this. Pregnancy, birth, nursing, took a toll on her body, but she constantly doted on you. She cleaned up your messes. She fed you 75 times a day. And all you did was cry for more. Sounds just like pastoring. <laughs> Later, when you struggled to make a tricycle, then a bicycle work, 
Your father managed his soul, maybe not too well, but he tried. Managed his soul, his marriage, his job, his finances, his house, his car, and you, among many other things. He generated you, chose and provided for your mother, and daily invested in you, hoping for a wise and a righteous son or daughter who would grow in favor with God and with man. That's what they wanted. But most sons and daughters are too selfish, short-sighted, silly, and stupid to know how important their actions are to their parents. They can't think beyond the next five minutes, and their only thought is to fill those five minutes with pleasure. The responsibility of being a, a parent is more than their mind and soul can handle, and even if by a miracle they chose to try, mature thoughts of, of future matters will not tickle a single brain cell until they are fathers. And only then will they think about how much their parents did and deserve. Now, now you think about it. Only then will you begin to think. I, you know, I, I have a, several times. I've had my daughter make a statement. You don't know what it's like. I said, honey, that's why that when... One of you messed up, I'd pull my belt off and beat the fire out of both of you. You're lucky you didn't have me for a parent. Just remember that. I did. Take my belt off. Had to hold my pants up with one hand and whip with the other. And with one messed up, they both got it. And I'd look at them and say, now, from now on, look out for each other and don't rat each other out. Right? Ain't nothing worse than a rat think. I, I mean, that's old stuff for you. But, you know, it's old stuff. You know, just just tell, telling on someone. Come into church. And, do you know what I've seen today? You know, you see adults do that just like you do young people. Whew. I'm preaching now. Are you ready? Let me start getting anointed. <laughs> so, you know, that, that, that's, that's, that's what you, that, that's, you begin to see. The most important thing is to bring up your child the right way. This is what Solomon was saying. And, and we don't want to see that short-sightedness. Now, a foolish son, the Bible says, is the calamity of his father in, in Proverbs 19.13. It's one of, the, of his worst nightmares, the pain of seeing so much time, expense, and effort, and affection go to waste actually sucks the life out of a person. It tears at a man's heart and his spirit. You can hear the cry of David for his foolish son Absalom. And he said this, he said, And the king was much moved and went up to the chamber over the gate. And he wept. And he, as he went thus, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Second Samuel 18.33 Absalom did everything against his father. He turned the heart of Israel away from David. But still, David wept over his son because that was his son. And you do things for your children. And that's the way a parent should be. They should do things for the children. They should love them. You never stop being a parent. And even though they may break your heart, they may do stupid things, you still love them. Now, if a son 
will consider these things and be wise, his father will rejoice. My son, be wise and make my heart glad that I may answer him that reproacheth me. In Proverbs 27, 11, Solomon came from a horrible family and he, he well knew the joy of a wise and a virtuous son. So he emphasized the point often. You can see it often throughout Proverbs. Likewise with mothers, you can be a great source of gladness in her heart or you can be a painful source of, of bitter heaviness. How many mothers' hearts have been broken by willful and wayward children? And only the Lord knows such, such large numbers. The, the heart that has almost daily burst with, with pleasure and affection, caring for the newborn, is torn deeply by the willful and disobedient and foolishness of a teenager. Always remember that. Whenever, whenever as a young person, whenever you decide that you know it all, and you come against your parents, and sometimes parents can be wrong, but you, you believe them anyway. You love them anyway. You go after them anyway. You honor them anyway. Now, I'm, I know there's areas when it comes to going against the Word of God, I know that. I'm not talking about that tonight. I'm talking about the, that a lot of things can be taken care of. A lot of things can be rectified if we honor our parents. Honor your father today. Obey his instructions. Keep his commandments. <clears throat> Excuse me. Answer his questions. Communicate openly with him. You will never meet another person in life who cares for you the same way or to the same degree that your father does. Honor your mother today. Keep the law of her mouth. Do, do her simple request now. Every teenager should, when they get up in the morning, hit the bed, hit the floor at 6 a.m., whether you got to or not. Do 40 jumping jacks, 50 push-ups, make your bed so you can bounce a quarter off of it. Go in, have breakfast ready for your mother, and she'll love you. You got that? James and Keith are looking at me like a couple of, of salt shakers right now. I mean, it is. <laughs> well, anyway, it's a good thing. Let me get this for you. If you don't get anything else, get this one, especially the boys. Avoid foolish females. Hearken unto thy father that beget thee, and despise not thy mother when she is old. That's anything over 35. And fathers, consider this proverb yourself. Future joy or bitterness for both you and your wife are largely your choice today. For those of you that's got young children, please listen to what I have to say. Will you love and train your children faithfully? Or will you neglect them to the heavy pain of both you, <clears throat> both your souls? It's, it's your choice. If you neglect them now, then your soul is going to be in pain later. It's going to be in pain later. It's your choice. So the wisdom of this proverb cuts both ways. Do you deserve wise and faithful children? Or do you deserve many dark years of public shame and reproach, revealing you as a slothful parent? Faithful training will bear fruit. They'll not depart from it when they get older. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop on that. I could go a lot further with it. Uh, I will bring this out. Luke 2, 51. It should come up behind me just for the sake of reading it. Because the Bible plainly tells us that Jesus, uh, he was the perfect son of Mary and Joseph. And he obeyed his earthly parents. And that's what Luke 2, 51 says. He obeyed them. Even though he was God incarnate, he still obeyed. He still obeyed his parents. Proverbs 10, verse 2. 
Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivereth from death. All right, I want you to listen to this again. <clears throat> In front of me, I'm going to pick out one, one of you to, to tell me what this means. Listen closely. And don't, don't, if you look down, I'll get you. You've got to look me right in the eye at all times. Okay? I'm going to read it to you. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivereth from death. Lana, what does that mean? Okay, that's a treasure of, that would be a treasure of wickedness. Don't go after the things of the world. What else? Yeah, treasures of righteousness. Live right. That will benefit you. Whatever you build up in wickedness, whatever treasure, that doesn't, that's saying that there is treasure in wickedness, but it's nothing that will last. You did very good. You answered me, you looked me in the eye. Proud of you. Good, okay. So I'm going to give you a real good one here. You ready? This is a deep... Thought penetrates right to the very core of all, all that we are. Crime does not pay. Okay? Sin will not succeed, no matter how much you keep trying. There's nothing worse than a Pentecostal who tries to sin. They don't do it at all. Very good. So if you want to backslide, just forget it because you're going to look bad out there. I've seen them. I've seen them. They, they are terrible. Yeah, you see some of these women, they, they go out there and they start trying to put up makeup and they look like something out of... Bride of Frankenstein or something, you know what? <laughs> so just, just be good. It's a good life. Follow me. Wickedness cannot profit no matter how much wealth you temporarily pile up. You cannot buy God off from judgment. He's going to judge no matter what. So you can't buy him off. You can't buy him in this life or the next. And righteousness is the key to a successful life, and it will deliver you from several deaths. So are you committed to righteousness, even if it means... Now, I want you to follow me because the stronghold in this area is poverty. This is what we decide. We're praying against this, and we're going to continue to come against it. I want you to understand something. I want you to get this, please. Because if you're committed to righteousness, even though it means or it may mean, or it may look like earthly poverty to you, righteousness does not mean that you have to live in poverty. But the choice of righteousness, even if you're looking at poverty, is what God wants you to do. Do you understand that? If we make that choice, even though it looks like we're going to lose everything else that we think we hold dear, God will he'll, he'll, he'll encourage you, he'll, 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 he'll cause you to prosper because you've made the right choice. What you see with the physical eye is not always how things are going to wind up. If I see I'm going to live right, even if I lose all my wealth, if I lose everything that I as a, as a person hold dear in, in a material sense, if I see it but I'm going to live right anyway, God will see what you've done and He'll increase you. He'll increase you because of a right choice. See, this is a key for everything. Too many of us, you know, when I say that, that, we, that we have a stronghold of poverty, it's because we think in poverty ways. But when we always keep righteousness in front of us and our, our whole being is towards righteousness, God will increase us and He'll push that spirit away from you. I hope you get that. Wicked men may prosper for a while. Do not envy them. It's an illusion. 
a very terrible illusion. Because terrible judgment is coming soon. Proverbs, Psalms 37, 1 through 3, 73, 1 through 20. Proverbs 3, 31 through 32 will tell you that. Do not comp- copy them. Sin will not work and you will lose. You will lose. The rich man fared sumptuously every day, but he could not prolong his life or buy his way into heaven. In fact, he could not even buy a drop of water for his tongue. So you have to understand, Luke 16, 19 through 21, regardless of how much you have, you can, that will not make you righteous. But if you're righteous, you can have. Only as God can prosper you. I used to wonder about that a lot, but that, that really came as revelation to me that not everyone that you see, I've seen people who seem like, and I believe this with all my heart, there is a spirit of poverty that gets on people, and regardless, because they think of themselves in that way. They got themselves. You know, they never give in the church. They, they tithe, and maybe they, they, that's all they do is tithe. They never give anything extra. They've got a spirit and mentality of poverty. And so they live that way. They live from, from hand to mouth, paycheck to paycheck. Because they're thinking in a poverty way. Outside of stewardship, I'm not, that's a whole different teaching. And if you go out and you spend more than you got, you're a fool. And if you don't like me calling you a fool and you want to throw Scripture in my face, that's okay. You can do that later. Still a fool. You know, spend. Spend what you have. Don't, over, don't use those credit cards. Don't do all that. You know that. You know that, and, we, and, and that's silly, but we can have, if we seek after righteousness, God will increase us in every way. But we can't do it simply for the fact that, oh, if I got all kinds of money, I can buy my way into heaven. You can come up here and give me a million dollars, and I will love you. I'll even pat you on the back, bring you up here, put my arm around you, and tell everybody how great a person you are. But that won't get you to heaven if you're not righteous. <clears throat> Ahab. And Jezebel, well, actually it was Jezebel, but she did it for Ahab, murdered Naboth to steal his vineyard. But the wine that it produced could not cheer the heart of God because of the way that it was God. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. They appeared to be gaining a real property by the wicked conspiracy, but a chance arrow killed Ahab, and Jezebel was eaten by the dog. So this is how this works. It's interesting. I got to looking at that uh, a while ago. And, and the uh, name Jezebel, the name Jezebel means chast. Now, that's strange, isn't it? Chast. How is it that a wicked witch like Jezebel could be considered chast? Anybody want to answer that for me? How could she be considered chast? Not chaste, chast. Anybody? How can someone that wicked... Now think about it. What does chast mean? That she doesn't give herself to just anybody. She is given to what? One thing. She's given to Baal. She was chast in her, in her, in her, her devotion and loyalty to, to Baal. Now that is, that is the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Revelations 2.21, the Greek name Jezebel means false teacher. 
I've, all, I've often wondered how that spirit operated, you know, because we know and we see and we've taught on the, how that spirit moved from Old Testament all the way through to the New Testament. But anybody that teaches falsely is under the influence of Jezebel. So sometimes that spirit of Jezebel is not as nearly as bad in the pew as it is in the pulpit. Different way of looking at it. So, if you go ahead by wickedness, it is only for a moment. Now think about Judas. Had pleasure for a short time for 30 pieces of silver, but it didn't last very long. Next time you see Judas, his bowels are gushed out all over the rocks below a hangman's noose. That's the next time you see him. And that's testified to us for 2,000 years. Achan's family rued the day he took of Jericho's riches in Joshua 7.19. Gehazi could not trade his theft for the cure of leprosy in 2 Kings 5.20. Ananias and Sapphira held back some money by deceit, but they did not take any of it with them in Acts 5.1. So it doesn't pay to be wicked. It doesn't pay to be tight. It doesn't pay to lie and deceive king of Assyria, whom God sovereignly used to punish Israel, heaped up treasures of wickedness by his greedy conquering heart in Isaiah 50 and 5. But the same God tore him to to shreds when his usefulness was over with. Sometimes God uses wicked people to come against the holy. And just to see what you're made of. See if you'll follow after that Jezebel spirit. See if you'll follow after that, that false teaching. And if you do follow after that false teaching, then that person who has led you away, God will tear them to pieces one day. And guess who's going to be right along with them? Let's just go a little bit further with this. The harlot church of Babylon. Now, whether, you know, we're in a, a quandary right now, whether that harlot church is going to be a mixture of the Muslim religion and the Catholic religion, but by the fact that it's on the seven hills over in Rome, we still have to kind of lean to the Catholic per se, but I do believe before the end of time, during the tribulation period before this occurs, that there's going to be a mixture between the Muslims, which is already occurring, and the Catholic church. The Catholics have always adopted whatever paganism. They've always adopted whatever was out there and was popular. And so you're going to see some kind of mixture. But you just stop and think about this. This this harlot church, whatever mixture it may be, and her Protestant daughters, still baptizing in the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. They have taken treasure by wickedness, but the Lord Jesus is going to come, according to the book of Revelations, and grind it to powder. So wickedness does not pay. Does not pay. Crime doesn't pay. Sin will not succeed. The getting of treasures by lying tongue is a vanity tossed to and fro of them that seek death. The robbery of the wicked shall destroy them because they refuse to do judgment. As a partridge sitteth on the eggs and hatcheth them not, so he that getteth riches and not by right shall leave them in the midst of his days, and at his end shall be a fool. In Jeremiah 17 11. But righteousness delivereth from death. Solomon wrote, The righteousness of Jesus Christ will deliver his elect from the second death, eternity in the lake of fire. While many fear or do not understand the importance of personal righteousness, it is a certain emphasis of God's Word 
And let me just, I know this group in here, but I want to say this to you anyway. Just, 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 to, just get this point across once and for all. Let's put a nail into it. Because this, this decision business, this mere decision business, it's a modern, modern invention of this mere decision for Christ is nothing but heresy. You hear me. If you make a decision for Jesus Christ, you're going to obey everything that He has commanded in this book, which means that you will repent of your sins, be baptized in Jesus' name, and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues. It's not enough to make a decision that I am going to serve Jesus Christ and not make a change in your life and obey the commandments of God. Because the only way that we're going to make it to heaven is to be obedient to everything that is written here. It's not something we can cut away from. We can't tear a page out and throw it away. We can't take a book out. We've got to be obedient to every bit of the Word of God. Praise God! I, I just I get so... There's so many of our churches who have, have known truth that are getting so close to the line when it comes to our doctrine. So close to the line. You don't hear it preaching... It, it should be, and I know I probably don't do it every time, but every time someone is up here, it should be mentioned. The necessity of repentance, the necessity of Jesus' name, baptism, and the necessity of receiving the Holy Ghost. At least all three are one of the three. It should be mentioned every time. It's never enough just to come to church and to sit in a pew and say, I'm deciding today to serve Christ. If you decide to serve Christ, you're going to fall on your face and you're going to get your heart right with God. If you're in the church and been in the church for 50 years, you need to keep your heart right with God. Do you envy the treasures of the wicked? Do you wish for their pleasures, riches, and comforts? The exchange is not nearly worth it. Solomon judged. He said, better is a little with righteousness than great revenues without right. Proverbs 16 and 8. Jesus confirmed it by teaching, For what is a man profit if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? In Matthew 16, 26. As usual, I'm running short on time. Proverbs 10, verse 3. Proverbs 10, verse 3. The Lord will not suffer the soul of the righteous to famish. That's a great promise, isn't it? That goes along with what I said. He's not going to leave you in poverty. If you make a choice of righteousness over riches, and it looks like poverty is in front of you, God's not going to leave you there. Because it says it right here, The Lord will not suffer the soul of a righteous to famish, but He casteth away the substance of the wicked. God has ultimate economic power. We need to say that again. God has ultimate economic power. Let nations legislate, central banks inflate, and business schools educate, and thieves confiscate. But God has ultimate economic power, and they can do nothing against Him. The rule is simple. He provides for the righteous. He destroys the wealth of the wicked. It's just that simple. Just that simple. Jacob was the poorest man in Canaan, running for his life with only a staff, but when he returned 20 years later, he had to cross Jordan in two bands. He got so much. Joseph was the poorest man in Egypt, a foreign bond slave convicted of rape, but 22 years later, he sent a token gift of his wealth that revived his dear father. 
Widow Ruth and orphan Esther, both in strange lands, had nothing but one became the rich mother of a kingly line and the other queen of the world. Now you think about it. David was a forgotten eighth son left in the fields to live with his sheep, but in a few years he could not account for the wealth he had gathered for the temple. First Chronicles 22:14. Put your trust in the Lord and you're going to do fine economically. Put your trust in the Lord, you're going to do fine. Praise God. Hmm. David said, I have been young, and now I'm old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Psalm 37, 25. The son of David said, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them, and are you not much better than they? In Matthew six twenty six. Pharaoh ruled the most advanced and prosperous nation on earth, but when he did not give the Lord proper reverence, God bankrupted the nation. The greatest monarch in the history of the world was King Nebuchadnezzar, but God reduced him to shame with a beast heart and living like an animal. So I don't care how big you are, you can come down fast. Lot invested in the best market but chose, chose a worldly life. God reduced him to poverty in a cave with his daughters committing incest. Devout Jews regathered to Jerusalem, did not put the temple first. So God, according to Malachi 3.11 and Haggai 1.1 through 11, Malachi 3.11 will come up behind me, God put holes in their purses and blew against their efforts. Now you think about it. It's putting God first is what causes everything to, to be right. There is a place I'd love to go here. It just, Folks, it's more, it's more than just getting in and doing the bare minimum. There are so many people who miss so much. They give, but they forget the Bible says God loveth the cheerful giver. So they never prosper, and they don't understand why. But they're never cheerful. They're never happy about it. They come to church because they have to come to church. I'm doing my bare minimum to get by. It's, when you, it, it, it's an attitude of the heart. It's coming to church but loving the gospel. You hear me? The Bible says you're not even going to make it to heaven unless you love this gospel. You've got to love this truth. You've got to be cheerful about it. You've got to be joyful. If the church is not a worshiping church, they're not a joyful church. And if there's no joy in the church, then you're not going to have any, there's not going to be any prosperity whatsoever. If we can pray against a stronghold of poverty in Owen County, but unless we can maintain our joy, unless we can get past our traditional view of just coming to church and doing the minimum and begin to love everything that's about the church, can't wait to get there. I ain't under his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Come on, hear me. We need to do that and love it more than anything else. Praise God. I know this works. I know this works. I know that you can concentrate so much on your troubles or what God is not doing for you that you can miss what God is doing for you. There is no wisdom nor understanding nor counsel against the Lord. You cannot play with the Most High God and be sure your sin will find you out and diminish you. You're going to go down if that's what happens. First rule of Bible economics is to obey God. Hannah knew this. The Lord maketh poor 
and maketh rich. He bringeth low and he lifteth up. First Samuel 2, 7. Seek first the kingdom of God and he will take care of all your needs. Matthew 6, 31. He takes care of the sparrows and you are much greater than the value of the sparrows. That's the promise that we have. Proverbs 10, verse 4. Oh, my favorite one. I've been waiting for this one. I almost started with it. Are you ready? The, he becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand. But the hand of the diligent, got that? That's the difference between a and a. If you got that, you'll be rich. You got that? Huh? I'm this. That's this Bible now. Isn't that right? Poverty or riches. The choice is yours. Either this or this. Now, when I preach them now, and you're going to see, I'll be in this or this. You're going to know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you will make the choice today, tomorrow, and the next day. The man who applies himself diligently to his profession or other duties will be rich, but the man who is a slacker or a sluggard will be poor. The choice is yours. Great temptation for men, especially young men, is laziness about work. I know that we don't have any young men that are lazy. Our young men get up at 4 a.m. Again, they're doing all those things, jumping japs, running two miles, jump in, the car ready to go, jump in front of their boss, gives them a salute, looks good. You know, be surprised at what that might get you. <laughs> yeah. I remember those days when people used to treat me. They're the ones that came back to work the next year if it was part-time work. The guys that I had to get out of bed most of the time, except one, uh, and I liked him for some reason, uh, I, I wouldn't hire him back again. So you'd be surprised. But that's all up to you. It's a great temptation to be lazy. Solomon often warned against this error, and there he, he uses a cynic doke, is what this is called, to represent a man by his hand. He used arm... Proverbs 31:17 he used soul in Proverbs 13 and 4 or the whole man in Proverbs 22:29 This is cynic notes. In this case he's using a hand and it's representation here. And since the hand is a figure of speech for the whole man, you know, don't be distracted by it. However, sluggards like to keep them in their pockets. You know, a sluggard likes to walk around like this all the time. You ever seen guys like that? I knew you would. Walk around, got their hands in their pocket. You know, you never know what they're doing because they're, well, normally they're not doing anything. They just walk around with their hands in their pocket. Or they like to keep them folded against their chest, kind of laid back, sleeping. <clears throat> now, this will bring, according to Ecclesiastes 10.18, this will bring their lives to ruin. And it is a fact that some employers... Note, and I'm not an employer, but I do note this, the handshake of somebody. I do note that. And if I was an employer, I would, if you give me one of those handshakes, 
I've got some people who, and I've seen back there smiling. He does that ever so often. Look at him. You, now, nah, yeah, yeah, I know who you are. Ever so often, he knows how I feel about it. He came over and gave me one of them wet fish handshakes and just, oh, my. Ugh. Mm. But, you know, a lot of them will. They, they, they'll they actually deny an applicant for their fearful of that slimp, infeminate, weak handshake. Because they consider that person a slothful loser. Working for pay or profit is a privilege and a blessing, according to Ecclesiastes 9.10. And the godly man attacks daily tasks with zeal and force. And if he is consistently diligent, all other things being equal, he will quickly and greatly surpass the man who is lazy, slow, and avoids hard work. This is the law of God, and it's a simple lesson to teach children. Diligent work brings financial reward, and it can bring its own reward and a job well done. Now, I know, I know, and some of you are out there saying, well, you just don't understand my employer. You don't understand this. I'm telling you, by and large, in most cases, if you will live by this simple rule, you will prosper. You will prosper. If you have no place to go within a, within a company, but you still live by that rule, there'll come an availability for you somewhere else, and that person that you're working for now will give you a good reference because of that. Don't, don't, don't get upset at a company. Don't get upset at them because you don't seem to be getting anywhere. It's probably because of what you're not doing. Now, I know there's exceptions. I know in this economy. I don't, don't even look at me with that. I know there are things happening in this economy that's a little strange, but I'm still telling you that by and large, whatever happens to you, if you'll give it your best, you'll wind up somewhere. <clears throat> Slack hand represents a man who is lacking in energy or diligence, inclined to be lazy or idle, remiss, careless or negligent, or lax in regard to his duties. A slacker is a slack person who shirks work or avoids exertion. This kind of person puts off work as long as he can. He resents real labor. He hates tasks requiring focus and effort. Thank God that we don't have any young men like that, that they go at it with all they've got within them. Please continue to do that. The slacker always has conceited excuses for his laziness. He'll reject sound reasons from even seven men who warn him, according to Proverbs 26, 16. He has an evil disease, and that is laziness, and will not listen to wisdom. You need to crush your thoughts and believe this proverb, whatever, whoever you are out there tonight. Solomon learned more in a day than you will learn in a lifetime, and he wrote by the inspiration of the omniscient God, that means the all-knowing God who, who knows all things and is above all things. And if God believes this, then believe me, we need to work at it. You know, I knew that before I ever came to God. I just never believed in half doing something. And I'm even anti-labor union. I'm a capitalist all the way through. Still believe that in a good old America you can still do well. You can still work hard and you can still come out ahead. That does mean that you can't have the excuse of <clears throat> he loves sleeping. Proverbs 20:13. Now these are some of the slackers' excuses. <clears throat> Loving sleep ruins men and women and brings poverty. According to Proverbs 6:6 6, 6 and 11, 24 and 30. He loves folding lazy hands and huddling under covers in the morning. He loves the snooze button on his alarm. 
You still make it, don't you? <laughs> he likes his snooze button, but he still makes it. You know, a snooze button's okay as long as you've got that snooze button set way ahead. He has that evil disease. He loves that snooze button on the alarm. He loves turning back and forth into bed like a door on a hinge. According to Proverbs twenty six fourteen. Yeah. He hates mornings. Forgive me if I hit you with this one. He's too dumb and addicted to sleep to realize that extra sleep makes him even sleepier. Proverbs 19 and 5 tells you that. Now, I'm just giving you stuff out of Proverbs here. You know, that's not my idea. Of course, you know, I just like to turn over and go to sleep, you know, but... Uh, I've got to listen to it. He resents adversity or difficulty, according to Proverbs 20, verse 4. He will not plow by reason of the cold. He's always looking for a snow day to take the day off instead of putting on a coat and working anyway. He loves any excuse to stay home or avoid a difficult job. So what does the Bible says that God will do? It says that God will put thorns in His way to tear Him up, according to Proverbs 15, 19 and 22 and 5. That's what the Bible says that God will do. He is intimidated by challenges, Proverbs 22, 3, 26, 13. He imagines a lion in the way. There's a lot of people imagine that. Oh, I can't go out there. There's a big dog out there. You know, I can't, I can't do it. His favorite words are, I can't do it. It won't work. Oh, I could stay there for a while. I've heard some people say that before. Well, it won't work. It's because you never did it right. There's a right way of doing things. And not only that, stop. If it, if, if it doesn't work, that doesn't mean we can't redirect and try it again a different way until it does work. I don't know if any of you picked up or not on what Brother um, Cisco said when he was speaking of the man uh, that was on his bed. He was speaking of the difference between witchcraft and faith. And he said... Uh, the man that was healed, it was on his bed. Jesus told him, he said, take up your bed and walk. He picked up his bed and he walked away. In witchcraft, they would elevate the bed and the bed would float with a man on it still crippled. Do you get that? You see, a lazy person is that way. They want the bed to float away with them still on and asleep. They're never healed. But you see, when God heals you, He expects you to do something about it. Pick up your bed and work. Long-term business or career plans are overwhelming to the lazy man. He wants something easier, success that will fall in his lap. So instead of tackling the challenge, he does nothing. This is according to Proverbs 26:14. But ever since Adam chose hard labor instead of dressing the garden, he has no easy alternative. Now, I'm sorry, but because of Adam, there's no alternative to this. He resents authority and being told what to do by another. Proverbs 19, 10, 27, 18, 30, 22. Now this socialist thinks a tribe of all chiefs or all Indians would work well. He does not want to be an Indian under a chief. He likes to work for himself. Now I'm not telling you because you work for yourself, you're a lazy bum, don't want to work under a chief. I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you, if you're working for yourself because you are a lazy bum that won't be underachieved, you've got a problem. You have to determine that. All right? He likes to work for himself. His rebellion keeps him from seeing that all chiefs were once hardworking Indians. 
He is seduced by vain ideas of easier, more exciting ways to make money. Oh, isn't that a good one? Always somebody out there trying to make an easier way of making money. Go, I can, I can sell this or do this or buy this and sell this again. And there's always somebody out there smarter than we are who's got this all figured out so that you're not going to make anything and they're going to make it all. Watch that person. Always watch. He associates with the discontented, listens to schemes on how they will beat the system. He's always busy planning his future success. He believes he has figured out life better than Solomon and seven successful men, according to Proverbs 26.16. And by the way, that's a, that's a good one. That proverb, if you make a decision that you want to go into business for yourself or some scheme, go to a wise person and seven other wise people. That's what the Bible tells you to do. Go to eight different people. Go to eight different people. And be sure they're not like you. Successful people. Okay? The diligent man laughs at slackers. He mocks their five excuses, goes to work early every single day, and attacks his job with energy and persistence. He knows that life is short. He knows that God made him to work. He looks forward to letting his diligent hands on or laying his diligent hands on a project and he will do it with all of his might according to Ecclesiastes 9:10 it'll be coming up behind me he will soon rule over the slacker in riches and honor that's guaranteed and nothing has changed in 3000 years since Solomon penned these words and nothing has changed in 2000 years since Paul wrote his own warnings against slackers in Romans 12:11 First Thessalonians 4.11 and 2 Thessalonians 3.6. Diligent labor is the law of God and the law of success. It must be taught diligently, for the excuses of slackers have not diminished. Parents must train children to work hard and repudiate the slackers' excuses. Don't listen to your children making excuses. Do not allow them to do that. Do not allow them to do that. You know, Jesus was exceptionally diligent. Mark 3.20 and 21. And the apostles followed his example. In fact, uh, Paul boasted in the grace of God that he labored more abundantly than all the others in 1 Corinthians 15 and 10. So you're not going to get out of the fact that you have to be diligent and working, and you have to give it everything that you've got, because if you don't, you don't. You're going to find yourself in a bad, bad situation. You'll find yourself hurting. Uh, I'm going to get to uh, the... Uh, well, I don't want to hurry this through. But Proverbs 10, verse 5, I want to start with this next week. It says, He that gathereth in summer is wise, is a wise son, but he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causeth shame. All right, and we're going to talk a little bit more in this area. Now, these are Proverbs that can help you to be better. Be surprised that when you go into work in the morning, if you've got a smile on your face, regardless of what you have to face, how much better things can be. And if you do it as hard as you possibly can, I know there's going to be bosses that are eggheads. I know that people are always going to be trying. You know, a lot of times if you do a good job, you're going to get a boss who's jealous of you thinking that you're after his job. But ignore it. Ignore it. Go ahead and do a good job anyway. Don't fall into the trap of being like everybody else, especially when it comes to factory work. You know, all you hear a lot of times at the factory is a bunch of rumors. You don't know whether it's true or not. You know, you, you don't know what's going on from one time to the other, and you've got people uh, always whining about something that's not right. Just go in and do the best you can. I always made it. I, again, I never had to work in a situation like that, but I always made it a point to go in. I went in early. 
I gave it everything because I was a boss. We gave it everything, everything we had. We didn't take lunch breaks, and I let them off early. You know, I never, I, even working here, when people want to start for lunch, I still don't have that in me to do. I believe in working straight through to the job. Whatever particular job is, is done, then getting out of there. That's just Robertson 10 and 4. You know, work hard, get out of there. Get it done, get out of there. Go back the next day, the same thing. If you keep that in mind, if you do the best, and I know most of you have to stay a particular eight hours. You say, well, if I get it all done, they're going to say, well, you know, you're just you're going to make us all look bad. They're going to give me more work to do the next day. We'll do it. I always love to. Maybe it's a pride thing, but I always love to. Whatever they threw at me, I like to do it the best I can. And if they kept throwing it on me, I'm going to show you I'll do more than you can throw on me. Pride thing. You know, I'm going to preach on pride. Uh, Kay asked me this. I'm going to teach actually on, on pride and humility. And what I just said there was probably a pride thing. But to some degree, to some degree, it is not too bad to know that you can do well and to do well. And to do well. Not to, not to bring anything on you, but I just, I just like to do it because the Bible says whatever my hand finds to do, I do it with all my might. I like to do it to prove to God and to myself that I can do it. You know, I always, you always set goals for yourself and try to surpass those goals. A lot of times you won't make it to those goals. You keep setting the goal and you keep trying. You keep working, you keep working. And before long you find out you've either achieved it or you've got too old and you're dead. Okay, so anyway, you've lived your life. That's good preaching. Let's stand. Raise your hands to the Lord together right now. We thank you, Jesus, for your blessings. I thank you, Lord, for your touch. Everything that you've done for us, I pray, God, that you would keep your hand of safety and prosperity over each and every one of the individuals that are here tonight. Bless them, keep them in every way. Touch them, Lord, financially, emotionally, and spiritually. I pray, God, here tonight in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Lord, bless you.